now. I appreciate you agreeing to do this shit. Yo, to me, yeah, yeah, like, no problem. One of the, one of the all-time mixtape legends. Um, yo, yeah. I, I grew up in, in all different parts of the Bronx. I was born um, by Twin Parks, right across from, from, from the Bronx Zoo. Then moved to the South Bronx, lived on Union Avenue, not too far from Forest Projects. Lived in the North Bronx, up in Co-op City. Lived on the west side of the Bronx, um, Macombs. Um, so yeah, I've been all, all, all over the Bronx and had an opportunity to experience the Bronx. So I was just wondering, like, yo, from your perspective, what was it like for you growing up in the Bronx and how'd you end up becoming a DJ? Well, um, I was born in LA. I was born in Los Angeles, but I was raised there. I was raised, like at two years old, my mom was like kind of tired of them earthquakes and shit. So we moved to New York. Obviously, I wouldn't remember this because I was two years old, but they told me we went from Brooklyn to uh, Brooklyn for just a little tiny, like like not even a year, to um, Spanish Harlem, and then we ended up in the Bronx. That's where I, that's where everything happened for me. So we went to Bronx from early 70s to from early 70s when we went to Bronx, we were like, I mean, I was fortunate enough, we, we were like planted right in the middle of everything. I was on 181st between T-Bout, I mean, I'm sorry, between Valentine and Raya, next to the 46th precinct. It was a house, it was a house damn near connected to the precinct. We were right, right next door. And, um, you know, like later on, obviously we'll get into that, but like Grandmaster Kaz lived two blocks to my left. Like the Fantastic Five, Prince Whipper Whip, and, and those guys, they live like three blocks north of me. Like, uh, the park where they filmed Wild Style with the, the basketball with the rhymes, it was two blocks north where we played, we played at, you know what I mean? So it was like, I was in the middle of everything without knowing I was, you know what I mean? Until, you know, hip hop came about and um, that's when I started knowing what was what. But we were right there and nine years old, I think it was, this guy, um, Brother, I can't even lie. I can't even tell you how we met, but he was a little older. He was he was coming around us, and he he went in the house. He went in, in my mom's crib for a minute, in my parents' crib, and he saw uh, the record player that you know we all have. You know what I mean? In, in, in the house, and uh, he taught me how to like make pause tapes, and okay. he ended up being later on. He was he's Flash's cousin. His name oh, is uh. Okay. He joined the Furious Five when Melly had left. His name is Mr. Broadway. Okay. But I knew him at Shazam. I'm, I might, I'm, I know y'all, I don't know how old y'all are, but the mm-hmm. Fury 5 had broke up. You know what I mean? Flash and the Fury yeah. 5 broke up and they had a couple new members. That's when I knew it was real, when I saw him, because he used to tell me he was Grandmaster Flash's cousin. I ain't believe it. So, but <laughs> he taught me how to make Paul tapes, which is obviously, I'm just, I'm, even if y'all know, I got to explain it for the people, which mm-hmm. is, you know, when you don't have two turntables in a mixer, you just have one record player. You play the part of the beat that you want to cut, and then you stop it right where you want to bring it back in. Bring it back, let the pause go. You know what I mean? So that's how, that's what just attracted me to, to just getting into the hip hop. I was nine. So at my 10th birthday, I think it was, uh, my parents bought me like the whole the whole joint, like two turntables, mixer, speakers, amplifier, receiver, equalizer, everything. So, um, you know, and then I started, you know, doing making my, you know, slowly but surely learning my craft, 
going to the stores, buying doubles of records, you know, buying doubles of vinyl, and, and that's how I got into DJing. Yo, let me um, ask you, you, your DJ started, kid, you started out with like, with, with 1200s, or they hit you with like Gemini? No, 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 they wasn't 1200s back then. They were 1200s. Okay. They was, it was called Technique, Technique SLB1s. There was okay. SLB1s, SLB2s, but my mom's and them spoiled me and shit, so I always got like, <laughs> I always got like the best, so I wanted the best, the better ones, got the B1. Um, and then, you know, everything else was basic if you look at it, you know, from now and shit, look back, the mixer was very basic, two channels, but, uh, you know, I, I had enough to, to learn, you know, to, to learn what I had, learn my craft. Nice. So, so how'd you how'd you end up getting the name Duwa? So, so we talking. My ninth birthday, my tenth birthday was like eighty. So, around eighty six, around 85, 84, 85, I'm fourteen, fifteen. I kind of like now. I wanted to leave that alone and like run the street, not crazy, but just you know do other things and um. I even gave like some of my stuff away because I didn't want to DJ no more. But then in 80, middle of 86, when I think it was Rock Him and them came out, Eric B and Rock Him. Eric B was like, I was always still attracted to, to the DJ, you know, mentality and the DJ culture, but from afar, I was cool with it. And then when I seen Eric B, he was like, he was just as important as Rock Him. Mm-hmm. He was he was just as flamboyant, just as uh, you, you know, it was a two man group. Even though he was just a DJ, it wasn't a guy to the background spinning the records for the for the superstar MC. He was yeah. a, he was a superstar too. So it drew me back in. So now, boom, I'm getting back into. I'm collecting more records and all that. So now '89 and the '88, '89. That's when I started in the Hollywood tape, Star Child mixtapes in the street. And that's obviously if Eric B, Eric B's persona pulled me in, yeah. Eric yeah, B's yeah. persona pulled me in, right? So the same thing pulled me in with that Hollywood and Kid Capri and Brucey B, because it was like they controlled what they were doing. They weren't just the guy in the background. So that's what I figured. Let me try to you know give it a shot, make some mixtapes. The name Doop. It ain't a, it ain't a, it ain't an interesting story, brother. I was just with my man riding down the West Side Highway. He knew I wanted to like start making mixtapes, and we trying to think of names. And I think it was like on thirty something, twenty something Street, the West Side Highway. There was like this old school diner, and on top they had like an old uh, vintage car. It just said, it something said doo and it just grabbed my attention, and I just ran with it. it was, you know. Uh -huh. Sometimes I want I want to make a fake story up how I got that name, but <laughs> it, 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 it ain't interesting. It's just, that's how I got the name. What do you think Thanks. like all those different transitions and changes from the the regular turntables that DJs use to the Serato stuff and all of that stuff? I ain't got no problem with it because it's it's obviously uh, uh um it's convenient for us because we used to travel before Serato we used to travel with all our crates our crates are 100 damn near 100 pounds each and you got to take at least three or four crates to each party so it's convenient um some people who 
are younger and they start off on Serato, I have no problem with it because I would do the same if I was younger, but they should try to, um, you know, do their research and learn the turntable action and learn learn everything about the turntable because there's some clubs that just don't have that. So, I mean, they all have Serato, but they don't have the controllers that are yeah. so convenient, everything packed up into one. But I, man, I got two controllers. I have a smaller one that sometimes I need. I got a bigger joint and then, you know, the turntables and all that. So I have no problem with it. Um, it's dope. I mean, times change. You gotta, you gotta roll with the times. It's all good. Yeah, we have, we have Ron G on and I asked Ron G the same thing about the transition. And I think he said that he had got like a sponsorship by, from somebody called like Tracator or, or some, something he said. I he remember said, that. He said initially he struggled with it. He was like, at first he didn't want to embrace it and it took some time and then he finally embraced it. But I, I do, I get what you're saying because I do think that, you know, it, it is a huge difference for, to me, the advent of Serato made a lot of people that didn't necessarily have talent to be DJs become DJs. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm interested in hearing from, from your perspective, do you think it was a good thing? Um. It depends how you look at it. Like, I think the guys that don't like that are the ones that are probably getting blocked from getting work by those guys. Like, in other words, the people that started on Serato or those celebrity DJs, you know, like even like a Snoop Dogg and whoever. Yeah. Um, they don't have to, you know, they didn't do what we did, which was buy every record in our collection. Like, everything we have we had to buy it on vinyl because we started so far back and then we had to transfer it digital but that's just that's just life to me it's just i mean you can't you know what i mean if somebody's younger what they gonna do they're gonna start buying records just to prove to us that so i ain't got no problem with it and yeah but it's but there is a lot of you know the dj the dj market is flooded it is flooded. Yeah. The other thing I look at also is like, um, in terms of like the mixtape, like I, we, there was a shift to me in the mixtape game. Like I remember being younger, going out and getting mixtapes and mix, like a Kika Pre mixtape was like going for like 20, $20, yeah. $25. Yeah. And then towards sort of like, I guess the end, when it became oversaturated, you get a mixtape for like $5. And it was like, you know, DJ Uncle Johnny on the mix or, or right. whatever. Like, what what, how, what makes you, you know, what led to that transition of going from where it was such a demand and it was 25, it went from $25 literally to $5. Yeah, it, it was a big, there was a big transition. Not only even, even the price, it was um uh the cover. If the cover was banging, it probably would sell more than a quality tape with a mm -hmm. with a whack cover. Yeah. And what do I, you know, what I think the reason for that? I'm not sure, but I mean, I tell you when it happened around like 2001, around 2001 when artists start making their own tapes. Okay. Which is cool, but you know, it was around that time. But like up to '99, even early 2000, it still was that that pure the pure essence of the mixtape which was even if you don't put a playlist the customer knows by knowing who you are they know that uh what they gonna get like a Ron G you mentioned Ron G they knew they were gonna get the ill blends with Ron G SNS they won't get exclusives clue exclusive WAP freestyles mm -hmm. Tony Touch freestyle so it's like yo I just want the new 
Tony Tuck, give me that. It wasn't about, let me see what's on it, let me see who's beefing, Beanie and Jada, uh-uh, whatever. So, it's a generation, I guess, it's a generation thing, because we we didn't change. You know, we, we still try to do what we were doing from, what do you say, like 93 to 99, but if people weren't buying it, it comes to a point where you have to be like, oh, well, I mean, I'll do a few for for my my core audience, but my core fans. But how much more can you do? You know what I mean? You got you got to make a living, so yeah, yeah. you, you got to figure it out. You got to figure it out. So like 2001 and up, the tapes might sound a little different, even for me. They might sound a little different. I you know I I, I can't chase what I Whatever. did in the 90s and try to do it in the 2000s if if the audience is like on a different zone right then so yeah there was i also think like like you said like that djs had niches like you knew ron g was gonna get a blend for you when i used to get the doo-wop tape i used to always look forward to i'm gonna hit a freestyle at the beginning even if it wasn't like a 95 live situation i knew all right we're gonna get that intro gonna be crazy it's gonna be wild bang push whoever it is you know you look forward to that and then i think you know you i think sort of to me when i saw the shift and it was when it became all about the exclusive. Like, it, 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 it moved to, it was just about whoever had whatever the newest record was. And I give Clue credit, yeah, because Clue, like, Clue was one of the first dudes who really blew up, and his name got big on the street for getting exclusive. So much that I know that people was probably on him, like the artist was on him for leaking the music. But yeah. after a while, you start looking at the tapes, and that's the shift that you're talking about was, it was no longer about all this other stuff. It was just looking to see, like, oh, this person got a new song by... Nas on here, or this person got this or that. Skills and all that seemed to go out the, the window, like nobody was blending or transitioning. It was just literally like a button or whatever, and then the new exclusive record came on. But what's, what's bugged out is, you know, and you're right, and the freestyles that, let's say, pun did for me, I'm just saying just pun. Exclusive. That's exclu- as exclusive as you can get because the exclusive that Clue and SNS was playing, everybody was gonna have them eventually. But ain't yeah. no DJ gonna play the pun freestyle that he did for me. Yeah. They're not because he's saying my name on it. Yeah. So that's you know so that's why I try to keep it like that. But you're right, like it went in like the, 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 the mind frame of these people is like yo, like we just want to hear what's about to come out before it come out. Mm-hmm. And we good, and that's all beats, all beats too. Like Beanie and Jada, yeah, that yeah, type. Yeah, yeah. They they wanted that heavy, like in two thousand three, two thousand two. That was heavy, 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 heavy. Yeah. How did the business? Like, I'm. I was always interested about the business, the back end of it. You know, like start. How did the business shift from when you first started doing mixtapes to when you know you said I right, I'm gonna move away from doing mixtapes regularly? Like, was it originally something where it was like okay. I'm a, I'm a give um, music factory or whatever X amount of tapes and you know after they 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 sell them then I get whatever back like consignment or was it they gonna pay me for my tapes up front and whatever they sell them for that's what they get. Well, it start obviously it started in the beginning with I'm gonna give I'm gonna give everybody whatever you know I'm, I'm gonna give them out the samples right that's in the beginning though that's like. 92, 91, 92. But once your name gets popping, I can speak for myself. The stores, I would not even do consignment. I would do a straight one tape master for a certain price. They can make as many duplicates as they want. 
because I don't want I don't want the hassle of coming back and forth. I want to go there one time in between tapes. You know what I mean? For each tape, I want to come there one time, and that's yeah. it. So, but if you in, if you're in demand, you could you could put your price at whatever. There's certain stores I, I I could charge back then even in the early nineties like fifteen hundred for one master because they're gonna make that no problem. Yeah. I mean, triple that. Some some stores were smaller, so yeah, everybody was different. You know, little the, the, what we call the Africans. You know what I mean by that? The yeah, African yeah. Little stores yeah. with the t-shirts and the yeah. tapes. So with those, those stores, Jallo and those guys, Abraham, we'd be like, oh, give me like five hundred because we know they're not a, a, a store with a brand with a name. They're yeah. smaller. So we just deal with everybody accordingly. Stereo Palace, Beach Street, um, yeah. Music Factory, those guys, you know, they had crazy bread, so we deal with them accordingly. But it was like that. I, I never did consignment. I just did straight mask. And then in 96, I remember a tape I made, Summer Jam 96. That's when, that's the first tape I made um, CDs of also, besides cassette. And Clue, Clue was the originator of, well, as I remember it, he's the first guy to put a mixtape on CD. And I was, it was great. It was mind blowing to me. I was like, oh shit. So I went to 57, 59th Street, Central Park. I pressed up like 10,000 of those. Now, obviously the, the cost was way more than getting blank sets, but it was worth it because you could sell them for $3 a pop wholesale. Now CDs, oh, you can't sell a master. You got to do the wholesale, right? Yeah. So you talking about you paying like 50 cent a CD and you get $3 for it. So, you know, it's dope because they're going to buy, the store's going to buy at least 100, 200, you know, at a time. So it made sense. It made sense. But after a while, then you had to stop. <laughs> when the internet came, you had to just hear, it's a free mixtape. You know? Yeah. That's how it is, man. Yeah. It's evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you look at it, like, originally, like you, like you were talking about early on, the price point, Comparatively to the time, think about it. You getting like twenty dollars for they were selling them like twenty dollars a tape in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So you figure with like with like realistic, if you look at the price point of twenties in the nineties, you talking about what would be like a hundred dollar plus tape right now. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, we we struck. You know, we were glad we was there at that time because anybody trying, anybody always say, yeah, what, yo. What's some, some advice like an upcoming DJ to make mixtape? Like now, it's just a whole different ball. I couldn't even tell you, brother. Like, it's SoundCloud. <laughs> you can put shit on SoundCloud. Like, yeah. I don't, it, it, I don't know what you gonna do to stand out nowadays. Cause then it was a handful of people that all wanted to stand out differently from each other. So nobody wanted to sound alike. I was like, shit. What I'm gonna do? Ron G got the blends. This nigga got the uh, fucking exclusives. So I want to do all of that and something else. Mm. So that's what I do. So yeah. now it's like I want to do what, you know, what he's doing. So. Yeah, you make, a, you make a good point when you say stand out because I've heard two different DJs play the same exact records but get completely different response. What do you attribute that to? You mean like at a party or something? Yeah, like... Or the mixtape. And a, and a party. You can go to a party. You know, yeah, you can, yeah, let's yeah. say you go to party A and you go to party B, and people have a similar set. But one a person, the DJ at party A, for some reason, people respond way better to than party B. The per, you know, the, how you talk it in, how, how you intro the song. If you bring it back, 
you get the crowd hype. Yeah, I always, I would, I always like, you know, we all, we all gotta, um, like, thank, you know, kick a pre for that. Like, just, the, just the, the amount of personality he put into a mixtape and his party made us understand that you can't just get up there and play records. You gotta do, you know, you gotta stop the music sometimes for a few minutes and talk to the crowd and, and, and work them into what you're about to play. Not just, ooh, I'm nice, I could blend, I could, somebody, they don't care, they don't care about that at parties. They don't care about yeah. that. A, a party DJ doesn't have to even do one blend or like a ill scratch at a party and still be like one of the, considered one of the greatest. Cause it's what he does to keep the crowd hype keep them into it, take them from an East Coast set to a West Coast set without it being weird, down South, take it to reggae, like the transition's gotta be crazy. I was never into all that turntablism and I have nothing against it. I love it, watching it and hearing it, but I I knew that mixtapes weren't gonna be forever, so I have to learn how to be a party dude because I look at Red Alert, to this day he's doing parties, you know what I mean? Like. He's still making a living off the parties. He's not making a DJ. He's not making a living off the radio. He's not making a yeah. living off the mixtape. He's making a living off the parties. Yeah, and that's what yeah, we my, my um my father-in-law, one of his one of one of his favorite DJs is Hollywood. And I had an opportunity to, to meet Hollywood. My father-in-law is a promoter. He does like different trips, and he books talent to come out and play. And like one of his resident DJs is Hollywood. And that's I have to give Hollywood credit. Like Hollywood is DJ for a long time on a strength from not. You know, he ain't up there cutting, scratching, and doing all these different things. But his personality, knowing how to engage the crowd, and I look at that, and yep. I'm like, this, like from the Hollywood tapes that I heard back in the days. Here we are, 30 plus years later, and he still got he got still some of the some of the routines he's doing that still go over and still rock the crowd. Mm -hmm. Yep, most most turntable lists and stuff like that that are like. They, they'll go into a party let's say they get booked for a party they'll have a set ready and they'll just keep their head down and do it no matter what's going on you gotta you got look at your crowd you gotta see what's going on you, you might go there with a with a plan but you gotta you gotta have a plan B and a plan C because you never know I'm doing something this Saturday in D.C. that I really don't know what I'm walking into so I gotta be like I gotta be prepared I can't just go there and just be like y'all gonna listen to what I'm gonna do and that's it I gotta I gotta give them what they want you know but but they hire doo-wop so I gotta be doo-wop while I'm doing it even if it's me playing a Cardi B song or whatever it is I gotta still be me but give them what they want at the same time to keep them in the building keep them on the floor So, so looking at looking at today who are some of the DJs today that you think are pretty good as far as like you know rocking parties and stuff like that some people that you say all right these guys really really got this and put in good work not sure if, you know I don't, I'm not sure if y'all know these guys but it's some like uptown guys from from New York smooth ski awesome um DJ Knuckles, they, they might not be like new, 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 but they, yeah. they do it all though. Like they pray, they, they could do a club for 21 year olds and, and murder it, you know, for three hours straight. So he's got LA Love. Um, yeah, like these type of dudes, man. Like like just who still come from that cloth that, we, that we're from, but understand that they gotta do it all instead of sticking to that same, oh, I'm just gonna be an old school DJ. I'm just gonna do this. 
Nah, they understand. They understand, you know, what they got to do. Because that, that seems like it, like a huge transition because even like if you listen to the music that, you know, that we used to listen to primarily and the mm-hmm. kids listen to now, it's like light years different or something. Mm-hmm. So, able to bring that yeah, it, together it, and it's a challenge so, it's a challenge yeah. it's a challenge yeah. yo legend has challenge, it I mean but just like but but if it if it's alright if I got a 9 to 5 and I'm that's my that's my way and I'm just doing this to do it then it might not be a challenge but I have to I have to um I have to study it I have to do what I have to do because this is my bread and butter this is what I do I'm speaking for myself and a lot of DJs too they probably figure like yo I gotta learn these songs. I gotta know what's what in the city. When I go to this city, you know, they book you in Atlanta. Obviously, they didn't bring you down there to play Atlanta music because why would they do that? Pay you all that money, fly you, put you in the hotel, but you still gonna have to have that set in place at least 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you gotta start yeah. it. Yeah. To know, yeah, you gotta be able to know your audience. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, is it true that you had, didn't you have like a couple of um, record deals also on the strength of your, your mixtape raps? So yeah, what, what 90, happened with that? Why we never got the, the Bounce Squad album? 90, uh, 93, 94, I put out a, uh, uh, back then when we always put out our own records, like a, like press up like 2,000 pieces of vinyl. Um, I made a record called Bounce Master and Hit Him in the Head was on the, Hit Him in the Head was the A side, Bounce Master was the B side. It was me rhyming, uh, this guy, a uh, beat man who worked with Bismarck did the beats and it got, it grew some attention and Virgin signed, Virgin, Virgin wanted to sign me to a solo deal. I signed the record deal, it was for 250,000 to make an album uh three album deal and it would grow the budget would grow each album and then while we were we did the paperwork and I signed I got the I was about to get the advance and then the A and R got wind of the bounce squad bounce squad was already popping on my tapes at the time mm-hmm. so he got wind of the bounce squad and he told the, the guy that owns the label that was under Virgin, which called New Tribe, they signed the Loonies at this time and they signed, they signed Dua. He said, yo, this guy got a crew of MCs. Let's sign them to the same deal. Me not knowing the business, about 22, 23 years old, I ain't know what's going on. I let them sign to my deal. Instead of saying, nah, let me keep so sign them separately. So we yeah. get more bread and we just split. Nah, I just say, yeah, it's cool. We split the advance. They signed me, Snagglepussy, Unique. They said they're they going to give an option to Rev Gotti and uh, the other guy, all that. So, uh, what happened then? Oh, they wanted to move us to Cali for like six months or a whole year to work on our album. Put us in the crib. That mm-hmm. sounds great, but to us, it didn't because at that time, we were putting a tape out every month and we were killing it on the street. What led to this deal, that's what we were doing. We didn't yeah. want to be somewhere where we didn't. We would lose focus. So we we went back and forth tussling with them. Like, nah, we don't want to do that. So and we, we, we all agreed to ask for a release. Mm. 
from the, from the deal right after we signed it. Let let us go. Y'all go, but we gotta keep Snagglefoot. Mm-hmm. So I figured he ain't gonna stay with them. He rolled with us. He said we need to go too. We all agree we gotta go. Turn around, he stayed with them. So that was the end of the bounce wall. Because that's like. I always, I always, I always um, go back to uh, Method Man and Wu-Tang. Like, he was our Method Man. You understand? So it was like, if anybody hears a, a doo-wop tape with the Bounce Squad, they gonna want to hear Snapper. Yeah. Yeah, I'm nice, they nice, but we need to be together. That's how it works. But he chose to stay with them, so it was a wrap. Then I had to, then I had to think of what to do. And that's how 95 Live came about. And just to try to take the attention away from that, I did something else. Yeah. That actually worked better for me. Yeah. I had KRS, Mark, DAZ, Raekwon, Buster Rhymes, Guru, MOP, name it. Mm-hmm. You know, Lost Boys, everybody who was popping on my tape. So they they was yeah. they were they weren't missing nobody. I know some people are gonna say, well, I still want to do about okay, cool, but this shit is fire too. Like, these mm-hmm. are like, you know. Legends already like at the at the peak at their peak, rhyming on a mixtape which was unheard of before that. Yeah. Think about it. But after that, everybody was rhyming on every mixtape. But before that, it never happened. That yeah. was the first time it happened. Yeah, that's arguably one of the greatest mixtapes of all time. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, and Thank that's you. everybody would recognize that. But you know, honestly, I never knew that story about Snag staying with them. No, like in my mind, as a consumer, yeah. person who just just looked at it, I'm just you know, like I knew that you that you had got a deal. I'm like, all right, I know we got a deal. We're gonna be hearing some some music soon or whatever. And I didn't really, I noticed that Snag was gone, but I really didn't, because truth be told, like he he wasn't my favorite MC out of the crew. You know, he had punchlines or whatever, he was nice, but he wasn't my favorite MC, so it wasn't really like a big shift to anything for for me or whatever, but I guess like, did y'all ever work through that? Like, did y'all, y'all reconcile or? Um, you know what, and, and I, I'm, I just gotta add this to it, like I, later on I understood because just, just like I made mistakes with the deal, I understood. Like he probably was in a position where he felt like he needed to get, to get that bread. You know what I mean? Like, yo, let me do this. So. I mean, we definitely were just, you know, we, we, we went our separate ways and didn't speak for a while. Eventually sp- spoke later on and was like, yo, it, it is what it is. But um, that was that. And then in 98, I got a uh, solo deal with Universal, Universal Records for like before Khaled, maybe before Flex or around the time Flex put out that album. That type of album where it's like me and guest artists mm-hmm. and as I'm putting the album together uh, I think I want a certain artist and I had a budget I had like a $375,000 budget so I'm like let's give this guy this let's do this let's do G-Rap I did a song with G-Rap M.O.P. and Cannabis Ron G produced it I did a song with AZ I forgot who produced that one I had a Pete Rock song with somebody else but they wanted like these custom type radio songs that I couldn't yeah. get with and I just sat on my stuff until they told me alright go ahead we gonna let you go cause I was not gonna put out something that I, that wasn't gonna represent me so and, and 
I'm not sure. They just want, I guess, a DJ album. They wanted it to be some other shit. Some, they had a vision for a DJ album that I did. And I, I rhymed myself, so I didn't want to like be like, I'm not going to sit back and just collect songs and just talk over these songs that I didn't even have a part of making. Like, I had like an ill vision, you know what I mean? For the songs. Like, even when I was signed to them, um, Cash Money was brand new. They just got signed. Nobody knew them yet. And I heard Juvenile, and I know, you know, he's not an ill lyricist or nothing, but I just heard something in him that I wanted him on album over, I think it was Top, I wanted somebody to chop up Top Villain, uh, Milk and Giz, and just have Juvenile just going crazy on it, because he was about to blow. And um, they were like, but he wants $10,000. And I'm like, give it to him. You got $375,000. It's my budget, I got to pay it back. Give yeah, it to him. Yeah. Nah, nah, it ain't worth it. it ain't worth it. The guy that signed me is telling me it's not worth it. I'm like, all right. Yo, but that's... So I, I mean, just sat on it, sat on it. Ten thousand, yo, $10,000. And this was, uh, clearly, this was before Juvie had hop. Yeah. It's before it's before he blew up. So they were looking at it like, we don't even know if he's going to blow up. But in my mind, I'm like, this dude got, a, got songs. I heard him because I... I was getting like, you know, the upfront music. Like, cause I was down with the label. So I'm like, yo, just get him. He's gonna, it's, he's gonna go crazy. Like, we gonna be glad, you know, we it's, it's gonna be worth it. And now nah, they ain't wanna do it, so. Yo, so, so here's another thing I'm trying to connect. You said this was 98, right? You said like, that, mm-hmm. wait, it, 98. Like, 98, 98. There was a, yo, there was a point in time where anybody I feel like who had a halfway decent name, if they came out, they was gonna get like a bold album. Like there was so much support sales right. was it was before the internet yeah. started popping and people was getting music or stealing music from people mm-hmm. and ten thousand dollars is considered a lot to give a guess <laughs> mm-hmm. Yo. i remember g-rap g-rap but i, I heard it see I, I prepared myself for g-rap because there's certain rappers that wouldn't even ask for nothing just on the strength right just like okay respect you that you you don't play their music and broke some of their musical mixtape they'll do it cannabis never charged me a dime mop never charged me a dime az never charged me a dime g-rap wanted i think five thousand dollars i still didn't think that was a big deal they gave it to him but i it was like pulling teeth you know i was like this g-rap wow. like, like and give it he might need it right now for some reason or he just got going just give it to him just give it to him and you know, I didn't understand it, bro. It's like it's like you can't do nothing because you're signed to them. They have a word, you know. They have the last word, and so then when they called me and told me that, oh, they're gonna, they're not, they're not gonna shelf the project because I never turned songs and I kept them. When you go to studio, when you're signed to a label back then, you're supposed to send the master. The studio will send it to the label, and you take a copy home, but they have the master. Mm-hmm. D&D, me and D&D studio had such a good relationship that I told the engineer I would even tip him at the end of the, each session because I'd be like, yo, I, I, need, I need my master, I need my master, and I would take it home. I wouldn't send him nothing. i let them hear it, but I wouldn't send him nothing. So I always had that in the back of my mind, like, you never know. So I remember um, 90, 2001, maybe, 
uh, Land Speed, independent hip hop label. They wanted to do something with me, so I let them hear all those songs I did in '98, and they paid me like you know a certain amount of money for all the songs and just threw them out. It was called a state versus doo-wop. There's nothing that rang bells or popped off, but it was just a project that they put out independently. They got their money back from what they gave me. At least I was able to let some people hear them songs. Yeah. It was, you know, there was, like I said, the Cannabis, M.O.P., Fuji Rap song. There was a few, few joints on it. Cameron and Beanie Seagull. Damn. You know, a few joints. Yo, so, so for that kind of budget, if they don't want to pay for guests, I guess maybe they figure, all right, we signed in the DJ that's popping. He going to get guests on the strength of it. What were they thinking that they was going to use your budget for solely for promotion or something like that? Because that's just, that's just poor business. Doesn't make sense, right? 375 That's enough to do everything. That's enough to get. That's yeah. enough for production. And I wasn't using, like, huge producers, so the, the production budget wasn't going to be big. Most of it would have went to marketing, I guess. Yeah, that, sure. that, that's, that's, that shit is crazy to me. I don't, I don't know what the thought process is behind that. So how's that, what, what, now, like, how's that changed your opinion on, we don't need regulators now, but the recording industry, like, are you at a point, like, after, you at a point after that, it's like, yo, forget a record label, I'll, I'll never want a record deal again. Yeah, after that, at, yeah, around that time it did, around that time it did, it was like, you know, I just, just, you know, just keep, keep grinding, doing, the, you know, the party circuit, the mixtape circuit at the time. Uh, cause it, you know, it could, it could, it could leave a bit of taste in your mouth, like, so you don't want that to happen. So you, let me go back to what makes me happy, to what makes me bread at the same time. And I like doing, you know, what I'm preaching. Cause I can't deal with all, that's why I never fuck with radio. Like, I can't deal with all that, the politics, the... Play this, but you can't play that. It makes no sense to me. How are you gonna be? How are you gonna set your? You know, this is your legacy. And and you know, I I, I just tell you a story about the radio. One time, Flex wanted to do a Hot 97. A I want to say mixtape Mondays, but I'm not sure if it was a Monday. But it was one day of the week where he wants to start off every week. He on that day for an hour, he would have a mixtape DJ. He set it off with me. He said, I want you to be the first guest. You're going to come up here. You're going to just go crazy for hours. Cool. I get up there. I start DJing. And it's going to be probably two breaks. 20 minutes. And then another 20 minutes. So I'm going to have to stop in 20 minutes. I'm up to like 18 minutes. And I look through the glass. And he's on the phone looking stressed out. He's on the telephone. So at the 20-minute mark, he was like, all right, break. And then he said, come in, come in, come in, come in. So I go inside. He says, here, and he give me the phone, and it's the program director at the time, which is Tracy. I forgot her last Tracy name. Tracy Clark. Right, girl. Yeah. She was the pro. She was the PD. She said, do yeah. I love you. I have nothing against you personally, but your manager, I can't stand her, so you have to leave. Literally oh, kicked me out the wow. Twenty, The first 20 minutes, I was gone. Flex was pissed, but he couldn't do nothing either. And he's flexing. He couldn't do nothing. So imagine, you know, wow. the power that these people have. And all goes down. I don't even want to put people on front of you, but it has something to do with nothing business. It was personal. Some personal yeah. she had against my manager at the time. Yeah. And she was you have hey, you broke up for a second. Why we can't hear you. We can't hear you though. Yeah. 
you hear us? Yeah, we still can't hear you. You can see me? Nah, we can't see you. All right, now we can see you. You good. You can hear me? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's some crazy shit. We can hear you. Yeah, so, you know, that's how it went. That's how it went, bro. I mean, it's a lot of stuff, you know, it's a lot of things, but, um, it, I guess you kind of, like, it's kind of good those things happen so you don't expect, and you don't, you don't really, you know, mess with certain, certain factions in this culture, because I never had, like, even especially after that, I never had the, the, like, like, I never wanted to be on radio, so, because it's, like he he should have been able to shut that he wanted to so I'm not I'm not dissing him but what people want to hit now nah, they were like yo shut it down I don't like his people so he gotta go and that was I was like uh-uh. I don't I ain't doing it Yo, that's that's damn, yo, that's crazy. Man. Yep. Speaking of speaking of Master Flex, I don't know if you saw. It's probably like a couple of months ago. Funk Master Flex, he was on um, he was on Million Dollars Worth of Game with Gillian Wallow, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how I guess younger rappers don't follow older rappers' lead. Do do you feel as if younger rappers have an obligation that that they should have to follow older rappers' lead? What what do you mean by following the lead? Like uh, doing the history and shit, or just something else? I think do I think he meant like doing the history. I think he meant like um, learning the business or learning from their experience in the business. You know, it's and the way Flex, Flex was talking with conviction, he felt like that. You know, like that that's hindering some younger rapper success. Um, it's it's hard because the way we came up, we came up right smack, and we were dropped right in the middle of it in in the beginning. So Flex. Flex, you know, he's even older than me, so he was, I could probably speak for him a little bit. It's like, we were there when we were almost forced to understand who were the older guys that were already doing it, Um, because there wasn't so much access to so many other things. Now there's like, like, even, I mean, I want to say this guy's 6'9", like, he blew up with with his phone, like, he just started making viral videos. He didn't have to do, he didn't have to take those steps, so I'm like, how do I feel about it? I don't really care. Like, I don't. Like, because you can't, you can't force these kids to do something. Now, when they start talking yeah. sideways, they start like, you know, fuck that. This ain't, this ain't the 80s. This ain't the 90s. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. But there's a lane for everybody. Like, even the older guys have their own lane right now. I done seen, I see these older guys, some, you know, the brand Nubians and all these other 
Golden Era cats, they torn more than ever right now. Yeah, Even yeah. During COVID, because there's a lane for that. So, what do we want these younger kids to do? Um, some of them pay homage by even, you know, fashion-wise, what we used to do, uh, you know, remaking stuff. So I, I have to watch it, you know what I mean, to kind of understand what he was saying. Um, but I don't, it don't really matter to me, honestly. Yeah. Yo, I, I asked Master Ace about that. I asked Master Ace, I said, you know, would he have preferred to have had uh, the career of Young Jock, who had that one big hit record, versus his career, and he was saying he was like, you know, he, he said there was occasions where he did wish that he had that one hit record, mm-hmm. but he said that he probably felt like he would already blew all that bread already. But now, if you look at a dude like Master Ace, got a career on the strings of porn. Like, if you even think about what he's doing overseas, he's killing overseas. And Master Ace, is we talking about a yeah. rapper that hit probably his peak was probably like, you know, maybe like what late 80s to early, early 90s. 90s yeah, early yeah. 90s, yeah. and a great performer too you know what i mean like that all counts so you know if anything the young kids should look at the at the performance aspect of the older guys too of some of them obviously like a master ace like a krs um who you know improvise on stage and instead of just going out and doing that one hit record they do a lot of stuff to keep the crowd engaged so maybe that in that way now that you say that yeah, I, I think one of the things though, like for us, you know, as like the older generation, which sometimes to me makes it difficult for I think the younger generation to want to embrace the the older generation. Is let's be real, there's more money probably in it now than what was in it before. So if you you look at a dude like you know Big Daddy Kane and the KRS One, the performance they put on the other night on Versus. And what they probably made in their career versus some of these newer dudes, like a 6ix9ine dude, like you was talking about, a dude like that, who just cashed out and don't have probably a, a, a pinky of the talent that they have, there have, there is a little bit of resentment around that. But to me, that's all about like, you know, like the continuum of when you actually come in the game. And from then to now, the industry has figured out, I think, far more ways to how, how do you monetize this music, right? We got streaming, we have um, merchandise, you know, you have the, the the show money is more. Um, so it's just I think that that's sort of like the conflict that prevents us from being able to bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. I mean, everything you just said. And speaking of verses, what, what, what's y'all take on that, man? Please tell me. Yo, <laughs> I, yo, I started off this conversation by saying you know, I was born and raised in the Bronx, so that should tell. Yeah, you. I got to go. Should, yeah, should, I got to go. Tell you where I'm at with it. I think. Yo, and I had I've had an opportunity to um to meet Big Daddy Kane also. Yo, I love Big Daddy Kane. I think Big Daddy Kane to me is one of the illustrations of all time. But I think I think Karis One's performance on that night, his 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 approach to it in the form of a true battle, to me, I I feel like he kinda edged Big Daddy Kane. Really? That's his element. And I know I'm a, I'm like I'm a diehard Big Daddy Kane fan and a Karis fan. And I asked like casual people, I asked casuals, I was like, who 20 Big Daddy Kane songs? Cause to me, this is what Versus is about. Versus I think has exposed that people's catalog may not necessarily be what you think it is. Now me as a Big Daddy Kane fan, who was getting those Prince of Darkness albums, Taste the Chocolate, um, hmm. the, uh, the Looks Like a Job for, you know, this is, this is my shit. I like this stuff or whatever. But the average casual fan probably didn't know some of the songs that Big Daddy Kane mm-hmm. performed. You can say the same about Chris. 
But I just think again, like I just think performance-wise, the battle and stuff like that. Like I think I think I would give it like slightly an edge to um to Karis One. But and I'm one of the people that after these verses are all over and people be like, oh, hip hop one or whatever. I hate that shit. <laughs> about about me too, me too. Like, let's get down to it. It's called verses. Like, yeah, yeah. It don't have to be. It don't have to be beef, but let's get down yeah. to one. So, in, in my opinion, is and I want to hear yours in a minute. Um, Big Daddy King's performance to me was better because he was had the breath control. The breath control. He said every word. Now, if, now let's go back to let let's tie in your last thing. The young kids. If the young kids saw this. They would, they, they'll like Big Daddy Kane. They'll respect Big Daddy Kane more because it looked like we know what Karis was doing. He was letting yeah. the crowd sing the song, but it doesn't resonate like that on the big screen when you're watching it at home. Yeah. You only don't even hear the crowd because it's just not set up that way. Yeah. So he's leaving mad words out, and he's doing what I call like that opera. You know, like <laughs> the song doesn't sound like that, but I understand it. He's hyped. Yeah. It's live. If I was there, I would have probably been telling you a whole different story right now. But on TV or the big screen, as I saw it, whatever, I thought Big Daddy Kane was way better. His freestyles, his in-between freestyles was better to me. Um, obviously, he doesn't have 20, I can't even think of 20 bangers before the battle that Kane that, uh, was going to do. Yeah. What comes to mind, maybe 10. Maybe 10. But KRS has way more. Um, so I was like, KRS is going to kill him. But some of that and then they didn't they didn't engage each other like I wanted them to but that's a whole other story um Kane's performance was he was he was right on point he was Kane I mean he's not gonna go crazy and jump back and forth run around the stage like Chris but his breath control was sick uh uh you know he said every word he sounded like the record so I kind of like Kane a little more even though I'm you know I'm Bronx too and I want to KRS but I think in my opinion Kane won and then that whole Distract, DJ distraction yeah. was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, I think Mr. C should have been there because Mr. C is great on the mic. And if you got Kid Capri, who's, you know, 50% of his show, the reason ours, our 50% of our show is the mic work, mm -hmm. yeah. why would you not have Mr. C? And on yeah. top of that, he's your, he's your DJ from back in the days. Yeah. So I thought that right there was a fail from before even all that stuff happened. I think Mr. C would have, like, did, like, a technician DJ. He would have... He would have called audibles. He, they wouldn't have stuck to the the list. Yeah, um, yeah. we're gonna do this, that, and that. No, oh shit, he did that. Yo, let's do this. Let's do this. That's what they do. That's what technician did. In yeah, between, yeah. they were like, yo, get them R and B joints ready. That killed Drew Santana. When yeah. Drew Drew Santana, you got no R and B records, and then next thing you know, <laughs> they had that. They came to like, hey, now let's do it. And he knows exactly how to throw it on. And Scratch is the one of the, the top, maybe top three DJs. You know, like living right now like and he's but it's still you have to have that uh, scratches on some executioners executioners yeah. this is yeah. for yeah. rocking the party yeah. so in the battle that's mm -hmm. perfect you know when to hit him and how to hit him yeah, yeah. yo the opposite which what, what you said is what I thought I was like yo Kane Kane is gonna I'm my my mom was talking like yo damn big that Kane's probably gonna give Chris the work but then afterwards I'm like yo and I and I get what you're saying because the breath control I think was a real issue for me too. Yeah. Um, but it was something that was it was something about Kara's energy that 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 grabbed me that I was like, yo, I'm I, I'm, I'm gonna go with with Kara's. It may have been nostalgia, 
it may have been uh, the rooting for the home team. Of course. But the other thing is like I like I and the other thing I've seen Big Daddy Kane perform so many times. Yo, to me, Big Daddy Kane even at this point in his career, that dude is the consummate professional. Like yo, he just any show that I've ever seen him at, him at BB King's. Um, perform with the Juice Crew. They did the Juice Crew reunion. Flawless. Like the dude don't miss one word. But you see, you see when he um when he stopped and he said, "Hold on," he's like, "Switch." You see what I meant? Why I wanted to battle him, yeah. right? Yeah. What he was basically yeah. saying was, "You see why I didn't want to battle Rock Him because Rock Him doesn't have that energy yeah. on stage. Yeah. He's Rock Him. No, no. He's you know the laid back. He's the guard. He's laid back. But he was basically saying that because that's the battle that they wanted to do. Yeah." And yeah. he was like, you see why I want to battle this guy? Yeah, I see. I, I had an opportunity to see um to see Rakim live before too. <laughs> yo, yo Rakim was doing Eric B for president. Actually, I seen him at Radio City Music Hall, and at the end, he kind of like fell out on the stage <laughs> from being out of being out of breath. But like, this is a great performance. But the, like I said, I seen Kane at BB um, Kings. My uh, my father-in-law had hired him, and he performed in, in DR. Like, dude is just consummate professional. Like, mm-hmm. just that, just and I see he represented that 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 night. Like, yo, he's well polished. Um, and I agree. Like, they stuck tight to the set, the set list, and I was a little disappointed in DJ Scratch, though. I'm like, yo, what is, what you know, like, where we going with this? Like, it's to me, it, it became. It became like petty. It was like, yo, what, what are you doing here? Like, yo, let's just get back to the music. Yeah, and it's bugged out because I know how close, you know, them two are. And um, but like Kid said in a Sway interview, the uh, two days ago, he said that they always been friends, real close. But in the last year, they haven't seen eye to eye on things. So oh. that shows you right there that something was going on where it was going to be, you know. It gave, it, it, it makes sense to us now that Scratch wanted to just get at him for whatever. Yeah. But Scratch put out a video today or yesterday that says that Capri started it by doing that first freestyle and dissing Kane. He didn't dissing I didn't hear him diss Kane. He was, he, they were answering Scratch for the, what he did and Kane yeah. was like, yo, you got something yeah. for that kid? And KRS was like, nah, I watched the back. KRS was like, nah, nah, kid, let's just do the song. And they did yeah. the song. So yeah. after that, after Kane acapella freestyle KRS, he was like, "Let me just spit some bars," and he was really getting that scratch. It didn't, it didn't probably resonate like it should have, but that's what he was doing. But everybody, you know, he's trying to put the, you know, I guess it's the narrative that's out there is who started. <laughs> that's that's what they you know. Yeah, it was. I, I thought it was unnecessary. Keanu, who, who do you have winning the battle? I, I thought, you know what, I thought it was Karis one too, but I think the locks kind of raised the ball on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. As as the showmanship and, and having to do, like you said, with technician and stuff. And thinking back at it, 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 but it, it wasn't it wasn't by a lot. It was close. It was probably just right. that home team edge because it was clear, like you said, Kar- um, wasn't Karis one definitely wasn't, wasn't you know, wasn't right, wasn't right with breath and different things. Yeah. Like Kane was, Kane was out there executing. Like mm-hmm. you could have, you could have went back with Kane. Like listen, going back in the day, you could have just got scooping, scrapping, did the dance routines and everything else. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was awkward where he just got um scrap out, scrap out. Yeah. Like, 
That yo, was right, bro. Yo, did Scratch even come from? Who he come, Scratch came for? Did, was it the dude from Channel Live? Who was it that he came for and told him you ain't oh, been on the stage? That's a fact. You ain't been on the stage. I know y'all ain't been on the stage in a long time. <laughs> y'all know how to act. But that's crazy because he DJs for them when they do yeah. the squad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the Kings, they did a hit squad. He was a DJ for that night, and he was a DJ for all of them. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, yeah, I thought he was a DJ. Yeah. But you know what? When you see footage of actual phone camera footage from people that were there, that's when you can tell how different the energy was because there was a song that some one of them did. I forgot which one. Philosophy, maybe, whatever, but... It looked different when I watched it on the on that app, you know that whatever that app is on yeah. Fight TV, whatever. It, it doesn't resonate the same because when I saw it on the phone, thing people were going bananas, and you you could barely hear the song. They were going so crazy in the crowd, yeah. but they didn't even show the crowd. They could have did that too. That's like another element they could have did to like just show people what's going on. Yo, I'm gonna tell you, I got. I... I watch a lot of the times I watch the verses. I like to watch it through um, through Instagram because to me sometimes the highlight is the comments. The comments, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got yeah, me too. But I kind of want to watch. I want to watch it on a big joint. Yeah. And but I try to go back to see some comments, but on Instagram Live, you ahead like about two minutes for some yeah. reason, like at least a minute. Oh, okay. So I, it was like spoiling it for me at the same time. Like, oh, I already know what Kane about to do. Even though KRS is on the screen, yeah, Kane is already on. So I had to leave it alone. But the comments be crazy. Yeah, them them comments be having me dying. And the after after party of that the after show when it's uh, what's his name, dude from Chicago. They used to play football, or whatever. The guy that um, the, the comedian first of all asked, oh, what's his name? The guy that does Jay Z and all them voices. Oh yeah, um, Avion Crockett. Him, yeah. him, and the other guy from Chicago. The other guy that was in uh, he does those videos when he, when he's playing like a sample or something. He thinks it's the actual rap record, and then he start bugging out. But he be in his car. I've got yeah. a big dude, big dude. Uh, anyway, they they imitate, they, <laughs> they imitate like who was on. So they did yeah. movie. Uh, my man came out. My man Chicago came out with the big cape. With the purple hat. I was like, how do these dudes do this so fast? Like, it was just on TV, and right after verses go off, they go on live. Like, yeah. Yo, I'm, sh- I'm sure you probably had a interact with Smooth B a number of times. Smooth B's a good dude, yo. My brother. Yeah. I, just, I just saw him last week. He was here in D- um, DC. He yeah. got uh, inducted to the uh, hip hop uh, museum out here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. Smooth is a good dude. Yeah, I had, I also had a chance to see you and AZ, and um, y'all had did a show in Poughkeepsie. I think Nori was there. Little Tariq Peter Gunn. Bobby Brown. Yeah, yeah. How'd yeah, you yeah. start? How'd you end up starting the DJ for, um, for AZ? He called me in 2011, 2012, and we always been cool since '95. Uh, always kept in touch. Not like you know everyday talking, but just kept in touch and. Uh, he called me 2011 was like yo i'm about to hit the road like yo you busy you want to go and we went we went overseas for a bunch of shows and ever since then he just wanted me to just stay as his permanent dj so and he we're kind of we're alike in a lot of ways so we kind of um we get along like we understand each other like i dj for besides az i dj for guru uh, from 2000, 2004 until he passed away. That was the only two people I DJ for, but obviously there was people that asked me to DJ for them. I even tested it out, but I couldn't really, we didn't gel. Like, there was, there, like one rapper 
huge, huge rapper. He wanted me to go. He wanted to be down with his whole crew and everything. And I tried. And I seen how he treated me perfect. But the way he treated his crew, the oh, way he, yeah. it was, I couldn't, I couldn't be around that energy. Yeah. yeah. The way he talked to them, the way he talked to certain fans, damn, oh, I couldn't do it. And nobody would even know who it is. I'm not going to say because I didn't rock with him. I rocked with him for one show, and the show was before the internet, so it wasn't even, like, televised. <laughs> it was in Atlanta, and that was it. Yeah. And it, I couldn't, because I still like the dude because he never did nothing to me. But it was yeah. just certain people yeah. that you gel with, and AZ is definitely one of them where we, like, we like the same shit, we don't like the same shit. We, we you know... We like to be low sometimes and, and, you know, shit like that. And we move, we move the same. So it's like easy. It's like, you know, it's, it's very simple to just pick up and be like, yo, we doing the show. We already know. Read each other's minds. We already know what's up. Yeah, yeah. Yo, that do or die too was fire too. Yeah, I'm good, man. He had a lot of songs that he didn't put on there that he's been letting me hear over the years. Yeah, even a joint with Nas. I still don't know why that didn't come out, but... Yeah. Um, this. Yo, you know, you know what? Everybody, that was like everybody's criticism. Like, yo, why is there not a track with Nas on? Yeah, yeah I, I can't speak for him, but I think it's not his fault. It's not. I don't think okay. it's his fault. Um, um, so, I mean, you know, all the fans are hanging on, hoping that eventually they get a that, that there'll be a firm reunion album, or, or a lot of people like forget a whole firm album. <laughs> Yo, Az and the Nas album. Yeah, we're uh, You know, Planet Planet Asia called me a few months back and was like, he know I rock with A and shit, and he was like, Yo, do he does he understand? Do they understand that if they did an album like, like they could sell that shit for like three hundred dollars a pop, like themselves? Mm-hmm. Planet Asia was like, Nigga, I'll buy that shit for three hundred dollars. Like, <laughs> like, of course he's exaggerating, but he's trying to say like, Nigga, like that shit, man. that shit would resonate. That yeah. shit would fucking ring bells and. I don't know. I mean, you know, Nas is a busy nigga, though. When you think about it, Nas is a busy dude. He got a lot of shit going on besides hip hop. So, it's good. It's good to see, though. It's good to see Nas. You know, King's Disease One and King's Disease Two, and then Easy. Like to see these dudes who've been doing it for this long still putting out work Mm -hmm. that good. Like it's, you know, it's like Nas found a fountain youth with um, um, homeboy, hit boy. Yep. Shit. Yep. That was a good move. That was a good move. Cause uh, you know, a few things before that, I mean me, I didn't like the you know everybody knows Nas ain't the great beat picker or whatever you wanna call it. Yeah. Uh cannabis was the same as dope as cannabis is. Even when we were rocking together in ninety eight on that same label, I would see him like turn down so many like dope beats and stuff. I didn't understand it. And just some dudes you just can't you know, you can't say nothing. You like, it is what it is. Damn. Yo, so how'd you and Tony Touch end up um, linking up to form the Diaz brothers? Um, in 95, when I did 95 Live 1 and 2, like I said, it was the first tape with a bunch of rappers on it. Towards uh, the beginning of 96, I think he came out with 50 MCs. I didn't know Tony Touch at the time. I knew who he was. He knew who I was. We never met. Um, the tape that I made after he made 50 MCs, I took a shot at him without saying his name. I said something to the effect of, it was like, you know, niggas try to imitate my tape, right? But I said like a few lines that anybody who knows what's going on would know that I'm talking about him with that 50 MC's tape. So he came back on his next tape and took a shot. 
a mutual friend named Ray Rowe, God bless, passed away a few years ago. Uh, he he said, nah, y'all ain't gonna do this. Wop, meet me at D&D's at seven o'clock, whatever, tonight. Meet me there, Tony gonna be there, y'all gonna talk this shit out. And we got there, we just got cool. We like, it wasn't, cause it wasn't beef. It was just DJs throwing shots at each other. It wasn't a street beef where I had yeah. three people with me, he had people, nah. It was just, I, I think I went there with a with a girl and with my man, Don Black. And we just sat there and we talked. And then we've seen that, you know, it, it didn't come to us right away. But like, as we talked, we're like, hey, we could do something together. And you know, murder it even more, you know, make some bread and then get it popping. And that's what we did. And that night we made the first Diaz. We made the, the concept that night for the Diaz brothers. I remember I got there at seven, eight o'clock. By three o'clock in the morning, I was leaving out of there with the first intro that we did. We redid Phone Tap. Oh, okay. Um, so that was like, so we did those tapes in 96. The Firm came out in 97, I think, right? Mm-hmm. 97, The Firm came out yeah. with that Phone Tap. So right that record was blazing that time. It was like on primetime radio. And we redid it. Um, right, wrote our part right there in the studio and just laced it. And then we just, you know, from there we go. We close friends to this day. I was just rocking with him two days ago in New York before I got back at yeah. Tuesday. He, um, I don't remember what, la- what label he was signed to. Is he, is his Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy? It was uh, The Peacemaker, right? Yeah. yeah. Tommy, that went gold. That shit was a dope album. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, Peace yeah. Rank is one. I think he had part two later on. I forgot where it came out on though. I think it was another label. And that that's an example of probably whoever the A&R was saying to him, like, all right, you want these people? Mm-hmm. Bet here's the bread you can have them. Because I think, didn't you have right. like, a total, at the height of total success on there? Yeah, he had a gay star song on there too yeah. that was dope. Yeah, the album was hot. Mm-hmm. Shit. Yeah, Ken. So, so with all all the stuff going on, where do you wish him in different places? Because with him, you travel the world. What places do you really enjoy going to the DJ? Like, what what's the spots you like to get at? I like going. Well, I haven't been overseas in a while, obviously, because um, of the bullshit. But uh, Japan, love it, love it, love it. The flight is long, thirteen hours, but <laughs> the it's just the appreciation for like. I could play something new and they'll know it and love it and go crazy. And then I could play Come Clean by J. Lewis Damager and they'll go crazy. And then I'll go back to, you know, a Mace record. That's trying to say like their their range is so like broad, like it's crazy. Um as far as in the States too, I always love going to North Carolina for some reason. Really? North Carolina, maybe it's like North Carolina is the first place that ever booked me out of town like in the early 90s yeah the first first place like I was nowhere else like I was only in New York New York New York and then all of a sudden I get a call from somebody in North Carolina that had got wind of my tapes and wanted to book um so it's like always it's like, that's probably like a more like a close to the heart you know close to home type yeah thing. that's why I enjoy it uh but Japan I would say is like number one bro number one I mean I don't know how it is now because I ain't been there in a while but they, they, they have a club called Club Harlem. Mm-hmm. It's called Club Harlem. And that's where everybody, no, no DJ that, like, any DJ ever went to, to Japan is going to be in there. It's right in Tokyo, um, in the center of everything. And it's just the club to be at, man. And 
that's where me and Tony did the live in Tokyo tape that's on our flash drive too. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that. You can hear the crowd because we set up the mic so we capture everything. It, they go crazy, bro. Man, hey, they, yo, in Asia, they just embrace the full culture from DJing mm-hmm. to rap to break dancing to graffiti, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Fashion, they like, they more hip hop than we are in the States. <laughs> <laughs> they got it. Yo, speaking of fashion, I see I, I see your, your your footwear game, your kick game. You got a lot of classic sneakers, bro. You got all the you got all the flies. You ain't see you ain't see the ballies I had on up there? I did. I did. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna tell you, you know I loved out on those though. I loved that, out on those. That I that I need and it and, and if yo, if you know somebody or somewhere I can get the price, let me know. I want the lottos. I want the old lottos. Yeah, old, old lottos too. I need them there. I can't, yeah. I can't find them nowhere, yo. I've been looking all over the place for them, bro. I need those. AZ got the old Gucci, the, the Gucci sneakers. Remember the Gucci sneakers came out, the white ones? Yeah. yeah. I, I can't. Where you those at? I don't know. He don't want to tell me. Yes. <laughs> yo. And then I also see that um, this dude is your man, too. Classic material. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We do a lot of shit together. I, most of my shit that I put out, too, like the old New York and all that. Yeah. Shit, it's through him and his people. Yup. Yeah, yeah, he's a, for those that don't know about classic material, like yo, this dude t-shirts is official. Like I got, I got the Street Dreams t-shirt from him. I got the um the joint with the medallions. I think it's the Biggie J, Biggie Jay Z and Nas joint. I got quite a few shirts. Yeah, and it's good quality shit. It ain't you know that gilding shit. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, he his store is five sixty two Grand Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. In case, because it's even better that experience going there, because he got so much, so many gems on the racks that um, you know, you, that might not be on the website. Yeah, yeah, he's he's official. He get a lot of good Yo, so tell the people where they can get if they want to get the classic Watt mixtapes at. You know, I know you got the flash drive. I already got the flash drive. I, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm, I love the cool out shit. <laughs> right, cool out to my favorite too. So the flash drive, um, which you already know, but I tell the people it contains. Every mixtape I ever made, it's about 70-something joints on there. Everything's in their own folder, so when you click on the folder, you just get that mixtape. Um, you know, as you're playing it, you play it in order. And, uh, I, you know, everything can be, you know, like directly through me, to my Instagram, DJ Duop, DJ D-O-W-O-P, or my email is the same, DJ Duop at gmail.com. And yo, and WAP is on some FedEx shit. That that, that flash drive go out like the next day. Fast, right? You know why? You know why? Because since I moved, since I moved where I'm at now, shit in Maryland, they got a 24-hour post office where it's self-service. Okay. So the packages I said fit through the bin, so I don't have to wait for the next day to go back and take it. What they do? They shut. There's regular post office, but they got a, a 24-hour section. So okay. when they close at 5 p.m., they shut the gate down to the to the regular counters. But you can do the self-service yourself, boom, 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 and throw it right in the box. And that's what I've been doing. I go at night when nobody's there, because I ain't got to, you know, wait. Yeah. Yeah. What made you relocate to go down there, though? Just just tired of the, you know, (laughs) tired of the clutteredness, if if that's a word. You know, it's like when I go to New York, I just came back from there. It's like everything is so, like, it's too much. You know, I'm at that age where right now I don't want to be in all that traffic, man. Yeah, and just a lot of noise and shit, you know. Um, I still love it, you know, because that's home, you know, that's that's home base. But it's it's um it's just peace of mind too, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So what's next to do, Rock? Hey man, I got a few things. I got you know, P Rock ever 
keep to his word. We can put out those songs that we got. We, we, we got like seven songs in the chamber. I don't even know. I got to listen to them again to make sure they they sound dated. But if not, we can, we can reload. I got an album with him. I got a, He did the production for that? He did production and we, we rapped on it right. together. It's like a whole, it's called Tango and Cash. You can't remember that name from the movie and shit. Just some shit that sounds like something. Tango and Cash, um, me and him. Um, a few things, Tony Touch, you know, things like that. And then, you know, I want to put out my own project just for my people, my, you know, like like y'all, like just mm -hmm. the core, you know, like even if it's just something just to put out on my own because, you know, I, I, I still have it as far as writing, like, I, I'm still interested in it. I'm still have the passion for it. Yeah. But it's the right production that I be looking for. And if I do something, it just I don't want to just put something out just just because you know. Yeah. I want to make sense, even if it's just one one album that I finally put out just to tell you know my story, things that we just spoke about in between. And it ain't for it. It won't be geared for this. Oh, I need that single for the club. Nah, it's just for my people. It's just for the people that followed me because. They did. I mean, if whoever did, they gonna understand what I'm saying, and they might even appreciate it more. Yeah. Everybody always try to make that. I need that club record. I mean, that's obviously, but I don't. I I don't want to turn into that person that's reaching to do something. I'm not Fat Man Scoop. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, right yeah, 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 yeah. Now you can't chase it. Some of the best records come organically, yeah. and then right. you know, people decide it's a hit record. But if you, you could tell those contrived records where people went in and was like, I'm, I need to make a radio record. Right. Yeah. When I put out that record in '93, that I told you that the A side was called Hit Him in the Head, the B side was Bounce Master. Bounce Master got me the deal. Bounce Master, the song that played at the Fever and at these clubs at the Savoy and yeah. the Palladium that people loved, they didn't never even heard of the A side. So, and I didn't make it because of that. It was just me just doing something that felt good. You yeah. brought you brought, you brought me brought me back. You said the Fever. I saw I saw you yeah. before too with with my uh, my man. You probably you know you know slow slow mo. That used to be at full court. I think he, he um up I'm in your full court. I remember him and Joe now doing up NYC, you know. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Slow mo, me and him went to the fever and um, I think how you call it the Joe's at the Yeah, I used to do I used to do that. Uh, I did it for like three years, two about two years every Friday, I think. Yeah. Every Wednesday and then they moved me to Friday. Cause it was, and that shit was walking distance from where I lived at at the time. Yeah. Yeah, the fever was legendary. Yeah, I heard yeah, quite a few times. <laughs> y'all watch y'all watching the um the Wu Tang shit? I have, yeah. I have, yeah. Up, up to date, up to date. I am. So, so the fever episode, like I know they have to like change a few things, mm -hmm. you know, dramatic, whatever. But um, do y'all remember when the Wu Tang was there though? I don't remember the Wu Tang uh, being there. I was begging on that. I don't yeah, remember. I, I don't remember. Do you remember them being there? I don't. And at that time. <laughs> At that time, I was getting in there every week. Like, I would have been there, right? Like, even yeah. if I was in DJing that night, I'd have been like, Wu-Tang was coming because supposedly everybody knew Protect Your Neck at the time. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. underground. But I'll tell you one thing real quick before you, before you go and shit. I was doing Club 2000 and Club yeah, 2000, 158th or 157 Broadway. The DJ was up in the sky. Like, you had to go up a spiral staircase. Yeah, I remember. Right, okay. So my boys brought my crates up there, 100 pound crates, 100 pound crates, about three of them joints, put them in. I'm DJing. Then all of a sudden, somebody comes up and they're still standing on the stairs, so they're like just halfway. I just see it from waist up. And they're like, yo, T 
take these joints and they threw mad tapes into my crates. Cassette mm-hmm. singles. Yeah. I got mad. Obviously, he left. I got mad to start slinging half of them because he, <laughs> he stuffed them in between records. Yeah. I go home. A few weeks later, obviously, when I say this, you're going to know. Everybody's listening to Protect Your Neck on the radio. Mm-hmm. So one day, I'm looking through my crates and I start seeing a few of those that stayed in there by mistake. Yeah. Protect Your Neck. I looked at the video when the video came out. The dude that did that was ODB. Wow. He was going around. <laughs> he was going around. That's why when I watched the joint, I kind of like it's true that they 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 were on that grind for real, mm-hmm. like yeah. themselves, not just depending on you know the higher ups to do the the legwork because yeah. he did that himself, bro. That means you know he didn't just come see me. He yeah. came see every DJ probably that night or you know those nights around that time. So that was ill, and I had it was a white tape it was wrapped in plastic with the it wasn't a wool logo nah I remember the artwork looked horrible yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's just white <laughs> black and white all yeah. white black letters it's protect your neck yup yeah. Yep. yeah 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 nah I remember but I was, it's funny you said cause I was thinking that too I was like yeah, I remember what I don't remember the people yeah I it was cool I mean I, I don't knock the show because I just wanted to know since y'all said y'all was short I was like yeah. I remember that nah I, I, I remember I, Nas I, being there even I remember Nas I, I saw Nas I saw Nas and AZ yeah. 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 and they, they did um, Life's a Bitch I think that was either Nas album had just came out or was about to come out and I remember they was there. I think Wu probably came there when they was already popping, popping, popping. Like they were really popping. Maybe they came there then. But the way they did it in there, you know, they had to make it make sense. And um, they they already say. I mean, they even say in the beginning like some stuff, you know, been changed or whatever. But, but I, I like the show though, bro. Nah, I, like yeah, I, I think so too. I like it a lot, yo. I'm telling you, with to me so far, the highlight of the show. You would have thought I was getting a record deal the way yo know, when they first heard "Protect Your Neck" on the radio. Yeah, like, yeah. and it's bug because we lived through all this. I lived through all this. I'm looking at this and I still feel like excited and fresh about it. Like it's a great show. You, the episode I did like though, I was like, yo, this is too much. I try, I try. Let me guess. Let me guess. What's that? The boat. The ferry. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> I told I told my I told my wife I said we just wasted a whole sixty minutes of our lives on this shit right here. I didn't. We didn't have to watch this. This made no sense at all. Yeah. I understood it later, but it's like that. That was a you know it's, a, it's throwaway episodes. It's like like when I used to watch Sopranos and shit, or what is the Wire? One of those like one of those, one of those seasons was like the docks. The docks. The docks. <laughs> maybe now, maybe now since we're older, we're probably. Back then, I was like, yo, what the fuck? Niggas want to see the street shit, you know, all that shit was going on. Yeah, now the, the, the docs, but that episode, yo, I watched that episode. I think I watched it twice because I was like, yo, maybe it's something I'm missing. But that episode to me, I'm like, nah, this 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 one is not it. That wasn't it. And I didn't like, to me, that was over-dramatization also of Riz's trial. Like, that was overdone to me. I'm like, yeah. yeah. That's too much. So, I tried to the, the ill episode, though, was the one with the, um, when he was creating the, uh, what was the song? Well, he was creating Protect Your Neck. Yeah, with his mind and the drummer and moving the people out of the yeah, 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 yeah. Especially when they try to um, when when the uh when Peace of was it the uh the Honey Drippers, honey drippers. and Dave yeah. was like, yo, the Honey Drippers tried to jump me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah, nah, it's it's definitely a good show. I I caught his interview on the Breakfast Club too, and he was talking about. I guess they're trying to string it out and make the make like a bunch of seasons. That dude got Raekwon down pat, bro. Yeah, yeah, that dude got Raekwon down pat. I don't like the, I don't, I mean, it doesn't matter, but the ghost, 
dude doesn't really to do not. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say half and half. I like dude playing dirty though. Hell like yeah. Him. And yeah. I was wondering why his son didn't play him, but now I think that dude he nailed it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm you got to you got the yeah. voice. Yeah. yeah, Dave East to me as meth. If you know Davies wasn't Davies, if he was just an actor that came out of nowhere, exactly. But it's like we know him already, so we like. But he's yeah, it kind of works. Tall, raspy, you know the. Yeah, and you see, you see, they switched. Um, what's his name? Joey Badass and Joey Badass. First season, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I saw it, I was like, wait a minute. I was telling my wife, I was like, yo, that ain't Joey Badass. She's like, yo, who's Joey Badass? Like, yo, forget <laughs> it, forget it. But then I ended up showing, I was like, Joey Badass is dude on Raising Canaan. She's yeah, like, oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the reason why I did But it's a great show. I ain't gonna front. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, yo, Wop, again, man, I appreciate you. Thank you for doing this, my No man. doubt, bro. I appreciate y'all.